Uh, welcome to Streamed and Screened, the podcast from Lee Enterprises about movies and TV shows that, that are worth watching. We have longtime entertainment reporter Bruce Miller, who is also the editor of the Sioux City Journal. Hello, Bruce. Did you know that crawdads don't sing? <laughs> I don't know if they have the, uh, the the appropriate vocal cords built into their exoskeleton. Apparently that was like a lie. <laughs> That's Bruce Miller dropping the factoids right out the gate. Uh, we also have Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal. Uh, howdy. A longtime crawdad, is that the deal? Supporter <laughs> of the crawdad team. Longtime uh, crawdad, first time caller. Hashtag Team Crawdad. Oh, God. And me, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee Enterprises. We're all reeling from, from Crawdad Singh. I did not see yet. Touched your nerve. Yeah, let's jump into, into that, and then we'll, we'll go into some of the new movies that are coming out, both in theaters, Nope, the new Jordan Peele, and uh, The Gray Man by the Russo Brothers on Netflix, if you didn't see it in theaters, which came out this past weekend, uh, limited screenings and a documentary series about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward that's on HBO. But first, where the crawdads sing? Well, okay, here's the deal. This family all abandons this little girl. Like, what is she? Maybe five, six, somewhere in there, some... It was like a montage of just like one family member after leaving. another leaving leaving the main character in like the first five minutes. So then she kind of has to raise herself at that age. Really, you would. And nobody in town, all those kind of judgmental people who live in Crawdadville or wherever the hell it is, just kind of look at her when she comes into town without shoes on like, oh, my God, what is this? We've gotten the swamp thing has arrived. And. Nobody says, maybe we should help her. Maybe somebody should come to her rescue. Are there not child protective services in wherever the hell they're living? And then they do it in flashback form. So there's this dead guy. But immediately, immediately, everybody says, oh, must be the Marsh girl. That Marsh girl, we always knew there was something wrong there. But nobody ever even bothered asking, you know, did you see anything go on, Marsh girl? Did you see anything there? Nope. They got her up on charges and she's in jail. And here we go. And then it's kind of flashbacky and tells you the story of Marsh girl and her relationships with some of those non-Marsh people living in town. The relationships in the movie were incredibly stale. I was not interested in any of them at all. <laughs> it's 1950s Peyton Place is what it is. You know, there's the rich kid who obviously is using her for his own benefit. And then there's the environmental kid who likes to look at swamp things, I guess, and then goes out rowing with her. I always think that must be a metaphor for something. Let's go out <laughs> on the lake and row. Okay, well, I'm good for that. And the poor thing, all she needs is a bag of grits from the, the little country store that she's going at. But it, it doesn't make a bit of sense. And then when this crap all starts to kind of, after they get into, into that swamp thing romance that they're going with, they head into To Kill a Mockingbird. This whole kind of trial thing where David Sutheran is trying his best to look like Atticus Finch and telling her story. And you think they haven't got a case against her. There were no, there, nothing is on her 
There's no fingerprints on anything. I don't know how they could even think that she had done this. But boy, these people, they're out to get her. A whole part of the, the movie, clearly, because it's, it's pretty easy to suss out some of the, the themes of this. One of the points of the movie is, you know, don't necessarily judge people based on just the impressions you have of them. But then that whole notion is betrayed in like the last minute of the movie, basically, when like people's suspicions go end up going a different way. But she tries to, the little swamp girl tries to go to school and they all kind of laugh her out of school. So where did she learn? Where did she get somebody to teach her how to write so that she could write this very uh, in-depth look at the flora and fauna of marshes? I don't get it. But now, you know, there's this also this kind of what's going on with the author of the book stripe of all of it, where you think, well, maybe there's something here. We better start looking at accidents that happened around her for 20 art. I'd like to go with that. I know Delia Owens, uh, Delia Owens, her husband, and uh, I know one of of her kids, they were involved in a lot of uh, anti-poaching efforts in Africa that involved them treating poachers very poorly and possibly on camera for a, a U.S. American news show executing a poacher uh, that possibly it was their son execute. I mean, these are all. Uh, but that's all speculation. That's not anything that we've got in writing. When the book came out, where the crowd had sang originally in 2018, I know there were there's a lot of hullabaloo about it and there. There was a New Yorker story, actually, even in 2010 about it as well. Yep. And the, the, the Atlantic, I think, did a lot of coverage of, of it as well. We'll we'll have links to those to those larger stories uh, to take a peek. But it, uh, yeah, Delia Owens is apparently still to this day sought for questioning in in relation to that and a lot of other uh, potentially nefarious things that happened. Uh, I mean, allegedly, you know, connected to that that she is allegedly connected to but they 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 would like to know more so yeah and the the plot of of the book and by extension the film without you know getting in any, any kind of spoiler territory there are potential parallels thematically <laughs> and it's interesting so uh yeah and i know the the book originally came under fire a lot for the the presentation of the uh, African-American characters, Mabel and Jumpin', which, I mean, we're, we're already off on the wrong foot there. It's not great in the, the movie either. Because they're the, they're the only two people that, you know, show, like, any measure of kindness to this poor, you know, wayward uh, white girl, like, in the movie. Obviously, that's a trope that's, that's well-worn and not a great one to still have kicking around what's the deal with this swamp store it's like a general store that's kind of out there in the swamp but yet there's this town where everybody seems to hang and walk down the streets and judge people i want to know the geography of this town yeah it's it doesn't make sense and she's got an outboard motor and she's got she gets gas from the swamp store so somehow she's getting somewhere but then when she gets to a certain point, does she not walk into town or where do you park your boat? A lot of it doesn't make sense, but thankfully you get a Taylor Swift song at the end. Which I honestly didn't even stick around for because I was 
the movie was over and I just wanted to leave. <laughs> as soon as the house lights came up, you were yes. out of there. <laughs> yes. I know that uh, people have talked about how, or like the later in a movie that a title card comes up a lot of times, the more quality the, uh, the movie is. And I was thinking about the earlier in a movie that the name of the movie is said, the lower quality it seems to be. And in this movie, they say the title of the movie in like the first 20 minutes. And then literally the last line of the movie is also related to the title. So they, they squeeze it in at the beginning and then they make sure to shoehorn it in one more time at the end. It obviously shows that somebody has read some books because they do kind of copy themes perhaps and uh, ways of presenting it. But it, come on, I still, I still want to know why people weren't helping this little girl out when everybody disappeared because easily they could have. She could have become the, you know, the ward of somebody's, even if it was the swamp store people. But no, nobody's coming to her defense. So instead, of course, always when we have a death in the in the community, it's got to be the swamp girl. It's got to be, her, you know, so that makes no sense. It needed to have a few more connective tissues to make this really work and i get it it's really old school stuff that you know i'm sure when you're reading it when you're sitting in a lawn chair and you got a big old drink and you don't really care about the next chapter but you're going to go through it anyway because it's easier than moving so you read this stuff and you go oh yeah okay mm-hmm, that was good and that's i think that's it that's it in a nutshell reese witherspoon must have thought at one point she could have played the part that's why she bought the rights but i think she's a little too old to be a swamp girl would you say, I, I hate to add all these weird caveats to it, but outside of the suspension of disbelief issues, and I mean, the fact that you guys have, the questions that you're raising about like the geography of a town, the economics of, of being a swamp girl, all of that is the kind of thing that shouldn't be entering your head the first time that you're watching a movie. You should be taken out of that. Like that that's the, like, let's talk about, you know, that on like the third or fourth viewing of, of a film and really get into the nitty gritty of something. You should be sucked into the story. But aside from that and the loaded issues, is there under the surface, I guess, in any way, a redeeming story, a, a breezy little like beach read version of just kind of like a Southern Gothic pulp, no okay what happened to all those brothers and sisters and everybody everybody that was walking out they all went hey we gotta go only one of them ever shows back up in the movie yeah boy i didn't realize my my relatives are so fickle they're gonna just leave me there at the swamp god their motivations for leaving are totally understandable because the the dad in the movie is awful but like once he dies like you can't come back around and see what happened to your sister that you just left yeah, wouldn't you say, well, let's go see who's still back at that house, even for the money. You would go back and say, yeah, I think I got a nickel in that house. I should be getting out of it, you know? To backtrack just a little bit, I, I would say, like, at least two redeeming things are that, like, even though it's clear he's just doing an Atticus Finch riff, like, David Strathairn is, is okay in this. And, like, any movie with him, I'm happy to see him in. And then Daisy Edgar Jones did a pretty good job with, obviously a pretty lackluster source material, I think. So she was doing her version of Chickapay, Chickapay Nell by Jodie Foster. Yeah. But, and those two guys, the, the two kind of stiffs that she falls in love with, 
really, really? Is this what we're using? One, and one of them, by the way, you know, I got in my rant last week about British actresses playing these kind of roles. Well, one of the guys is a British guy too. So yep. we went over there and got some cheap talent. Neither one of the people that she has like a romantic involvement with are people I could pick out of a lineup if they just like threw them into a police lineup. They blend. They blend. In fact, the two, if the two guys stood there, you would go, I'm not so sure I know which is which. <laughs> and one was one is blonde and one has dark hair, but their <laughs> but, character traits are very similar. Yeah. So there you go. Where the crawdads sing. So yeah, I think we're good on that. We've definitely fired some shots across the bow. We swatted that crawdad, didn't we? <laughs> we did. We did. The big movie that's coming out is Nope. It's the new Jordan Peele film. Jordan Peele of Get Out and Us fame. I'm a huge proponent of Us. I don't know where you guys fall on on that one. Big swing in a lot of ways, and it seems like this is going to be a similarly large swing in that he's taking on the the great UFO. Close Encounters, basically. Yeah, it's going to be his, his take on that, which is, I mean, UFOs in general. And it seemed like that's what it was going to be from the beginning, and then the the newer trailers have revealed a little bit more but it still is loaded with weird iconography and deformed characters and other you know bits and pieces that have yet to fit into the puzzle i hope he doesn't fall into an m night Shyamalan hole where people are expecting the same thing each time he he comes out i hope this is one of those game changers that um makes you go okay yeah he does a lot of different things that'd be good i like that so I'm hoping that's what it is. But what do you think people are expecting? I mean, when, when you say like the M9 Shyamalan hole, like, are you, are you saying that he's just been directing these like high-minded genre films, I guess, or? I think uh, that they, they think that there's got to be another a message that you're looking for that you get. Um, with Get Out, you know, it was a, a, a very, very kind of, it was a fun uh, horror film, but underneath it was this whole story of racism and, that kind of, it, it gave you, it was, there were more levels to it. And I think with the Lupita Nyong'o one, Us. there was a similar kind of thing like that where you got another level out of it. Uh, that's why I'm hoping that this thing could be just whatever. I do think that's one thing that definitely separates Jordan Peele from some of the other people making some of the like, quote unquote, like elevated horror type stuff is that he still cares about the horror first and then recognizes that you can like, weave in these like bigger and more important themes whereas like some of the other movies like seem to be starting with like these bigger you know points about society and then they try to squeeze in these bits of like horror movie and scary movie type stuff which doesn't work quite as well uh, as it does the other way around and a better comparison even though it's still kind of early might end up being somebody like John Carpenter who basically stuck in the same kind of lane for his whole career, but there still ended up being a lot of diversity within that one lane um, over time. But obviously Carpenter had a 50 year career and might still come back at some point. Jordan Peele's still just beginning in a lot of ways. Yeah. Anybody who's going to be staying with a, you know, a genre approach where you're going to be doing sci-fi or horror films. Those are two types of movies that just lend themselves very easily to layering in ideas and interpretations and innuendos and things like that that have you know deeper messages but like you were saying jared it has to be good entertainment full stop before you could even get to that 
And yeah, I think you're dead on uh, as far as making the, the John Carpenter connection. He's just so promising. Like everything from Jordan Peele just seems so well thought out and visually stimulating and interesting. He's just such a, a unique perspective that is just coming in and able to navigate Hollywood and make these truly fascinating films. And so I'm, I'll be there opening night for this. I almost kind of wish they had only just kept showing me the debut trailer and never put out any of the subsequent ones because like I was actually just like mildly, mildly bummed out that like some of the subsequent trailers really led on more to like how funny this movie seems like it's going to be, which I guess shouldn't be a surprise considering who's directing it. But like, I don't know that that spoiled a little bit of like tone for me when I didn't necessarily need it to, but that's pretty small potatoes. So yeah, Jordan Peele, big movie, see it on a big screen uh, as big as possible. And I know he has said in, 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 I think he was talking with uh, someone from IndieWire, I want to say about, you know, he, he went into this knowing that it was going to be a pandemic movie, that it was going to be coming out at a time when movies were when when audiences were looking for a good reason to come back to theaters and so he knew that this had to be that much more over the top uh, visually and so i'm really hoping that it's just the the equivalent of somebody just reaching out and poking me in the eyeballs the opposite of being poked in the eyeballs in in a good way is maybe being poked in the eyeballs in a, in a bad way bruce i know that you have seen the gray man correct i have what do you think man like would you all that I've done, I've only read that Hollywood Reporter uh, brief profile that they did, the Russo brothers did, that culminated in them saying that going to theaters was a uh, elitist <laughs> experience. It's a big film. It's got a lot in it. A lot of it never stops. The action is always going, but it also is a very loud film. So that it gets very loud when they're exploding things. And then when they start talking, it gets real quiet. And I thought, I can't be playing the button on this one all the time, just to be able to understand what's going on. Basically, one guy is chasing another guy and they're both highly uh, sought operatives. So they one knows too much and the other one's gonna stop them from revealing it. And it's Ryan Gosling and Chris Evans. And Chris Evans kind of plays the He's the out of character one, I, I would say. He seems like the bad guy if you're going to pick a bad guy. It's the mustache that really gives it away. That porn stash that he wears is kind of, and they mention it. They, they reference the mustache. There are a lot of lines that, you know, you know that people would use. And so they throw them in. I think Ryan Gosling kind of disappears. You really are not sure where he is at any given time. And then there are women involved and little girls involved. And there's a lot of stuff kind of unpacking. Billy Bob Thornton's in there. They wreck a lot of buildings. I don't know how they see a franchise coming out of this thing. I really don't. Those confrontational scenes, boy, does that hark back to something that maybe John Travolta did 10 years ago? I don't know. Chris Evans is becoming a better actor than I thought he was. And Ryan Gosling is kind of staying in the same lane. And they also do make a Ken joke. So be ready for that. <laughs> Ryan Gosling, of course, plays Ken in the upcoming Barbie film uh, written and directed by Greta Gerwig that's coming out next year. A lot of money has been spent and there are fireworks going off inside. There are flares going off. 
They're like in planes and they're wrestling and things are exploding. They're on uh, the balcony of something and a grenade explodes. I mean, something is exploding all the time. They spent $200 million at least on this, which, yeah. Does it seem like a $200 million movie watching there's a it? Lot, like- yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot of money being spent. I don't know that it was well spent because it's <laughs> very dark. It's real dark and it's hard to see some of that stuff. Did you use your money wisely? I don't think you did. But it'll have a crowd. It'll have an, an action crowd. But you do see that Chris Evans is not Captain America anymore. And he kind of walks around in these tight kind of beige pants. So then you can pick him out of the crowd. And loafers without socks, that's a real big thing with him. And then these tight little shirts. And then the next thing you know, how are you able to do all this running and jumping in those clothes? I don't get it. <laughs> Ryan Gosling kind of, you know, is always hiding behind something. And I know I'm not giving you what you want, which is probably the plot and all that stuff, but it's an action film. It's an action film. You can see that they had pretensions of Mission Impossible. They have enough of a team there that that team could take over and do things. I do wonder why, what in particular, like, appealed to Ryan Gosling about this, because this is the first movie he's been in in four years. Like, he's actually been pretty choosy about the the movies he's even in or when he even works and so i'm I'm wondering what about this uh, appealed to him in particular maybe that's a back-end netflix deal could be i mean this is a movie that they have had in their back pockets as a script that they've wanted to develop since since they were like really deep in captain america stuff so this has been kicking around for a long time wasn't necessarily intended to be a streaming only thing originally it was supposed to be brad pitt and then james gray directing it who did uh, ad astra with with brad pitt which I, I would have been curious to see that version of this yep one of those interesting alternate histories the money was spent on explosions that's what you're getting it'll be on netflix and i'm sure that it, it, it'll be the kind of movie where netflix is going to say that you know 200 million people logged in and watched it which you know would hypothetically mean a you know four billion dollar opening if they had done that (laughs) so third week of it being out still doing avatar numbers right people just love the gray man they love the gray man netflix this friday watch it if you wanna i probably will chris's new wacky character he's he's trying out drive time radio host (laughs) watch it if you wanna gets three and a half maybes (laughs) The other thing that's coming out this weekend that's worth checking out, I think, is there's a new series called The Last Movie Stars, directed by Ethan Hawke. And he came into contact with, apparently, Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. They recorded together some kind of uh, elaborate biography of themselves, but then destroyed the tapes but what exists is the transcript of those tapes. So Ethan Hawke over the course of the pandemic brought together some of his favorite people to reenact audibly these tapes that exist. And so George Clooney is going to play Paul Newman and Laura Linney is going to be the voice of Joanne Woodward. And it seems like just a really interesting documentary structure. And that's about it. I mean, it's just a, you know, Paul Newman, and Joanne Woodward, fantastic actors and have a long, long history of philanthropy and there's love for each other. 
did either of you see this was just kicking around today uh and i think it was like an indiewire piece and there's like a conversation with ethan hawk where he was saying uh i'm at the beginning of my last act as an actor well i guess he knows best right which would be uh, a shame if he uh, hangs it up anytime soon because he's another one of those guys that's way up on my list of people I'm always happy to see and stuff and will seek out if, if he's in it. I'm wondering what the constraints of that are, if he is just going to stop acting or if it's going to be something where he's going to... Direct. Yeah, direct, um, work more in production. I mean, I can't imagine... Uh, there, there are certain directors, I'm sure, who if they call him up, are, he's going to show up for. I think he's already in for a fourth movie with Julie Delphi. <laughs> Another uh, before. I think the title of that is Before We Forget or something like that. So that sounds like it's going to be maybe horrifically depressing. <laughs> All the other movies are so uplifting, though. Yeah. Yeah. Ethan Hawke. Love to see him going into directing. You know, I find it strange, though, that he would have to have people do dialogue or whatever. Because there's enough stuff out there about Joanne and and Paul that you could easily, if you were doing a traditional documentary, you could find it. This concept might have some merit, but it's not like you can't find anything on the guy because he wasn't reclusive. It's the, the creative constraints, I think, of limiting it to these hours and hours and hours of audio that were recorded, then transcribed, and the actual audio was pointedly destroyed like purposefully not accidentally so you have that as the the narrative hook i guess to to limit the the efforts to go there but i mean it's of course there's going to be a whole bunch of you know visual elements and outtakes from interviews and that, that you'll see the actual imagery of and uh you know film clips and things but this kind of seems like a ken burns documentary you know we can't get benjamin franklin so Let's haul in Mandy Patinkin. He can do it for us. Fine by me. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, it's, uh, again, it's something that is any way you cut this, I'm perfectly happy with it. Is it the kind of thing where if, if I didn't have HBO max, I would be like, man, I gotta, I gotta throw down the money to subscribe to HBO max so I can watch this documentary series about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward. I don't know if I go that far, but it's a very pleasant and unexpected addition uh, that seems to be made with an attention to quality they were smart early on is both of them decided that they weren't really going to lean into the celebrity aspect of their lives. And as a result, people did leave them alone. You know, that kind of very um, often repeated story about some guy coming up to him at a urinal in a bathroom and asking for an autograph. And he said, I'm not giving any more autographs. If this is the way it's going to be for the most part, he didn't, but I did ask him once for an autograph for somebody. And I was able to get it. So I don't, I didn't have to go to a, follow him into a bathroom and ask him for this. And I found, you know, he was a very kind person. And I think you see that through the kind of food things he did with, with Newman's own. Um, But he was just a real normal kind of guy who they really, Joanne and Paul wanted to do more theater. They loved theater and they did it. They were able to do it in later years where it didn't attract as much attention. Now, if you try to do it, you know, good luck, J-Lo. You and Ben aren't going to be doing Our Town in some little backwater theater. You know, it's not going to happen. But they were able to have that kind of life that they wanted and um, more power to them. 
mentioned this earlier to Chris before we, we started doing this, is that Paul Newman had the bluest eyes. And this is not this is not one of those things that you read, but when you see those eyes, they were so blue, it was like you were looking through him. That's how blue his eyes were. And the only other person who is, seems like that to me is Ellen. Ellen DeGeneres has that same kind of blue eye that is just unbelievable. But that's what kind of got your attention. And then the rest of it was what he was able to bring to it. I always felt badly that he didn't win the Oscar for the verdict because the verdict was really one of his great roles. And then to win it for the color of money, that's a make good. That's all that is. He always considered that she was a better actress than he was an actor. Well, speaking of the color of money, uh, Martin Scorsese actually is one of the producers for, for the last movie stars. There you go. Can I throw something as a, just an extra? I am reading a book now that I am just enamored with. And it's one of those things where when I get to that point when I'm reading at night, I just dig in because it feels like I'm getting a little extra. It's a little, some little bonus for the night. It's called Leave the Gun, Take the Cannoli. It's the story of the making of The Godfather. Oh my God, that thing shouldn't have happened. All the trouble they had, it was a big, you know, what kind of storm. And um, <laughs> when you hear the fights they had to go through, and he hated every day of it. He said it was the most difficult thing he's ever done. And then you realize, you know, now I've got to go back. I must go back and watch these scenes that they talk about and how they were able to pull them off. But it's a fascinating read. It's my kind of good summer read where you can just dig into something that you really love and then really find out more that's there. If we wanted to add a streamed and screened book club aspect to this, I mean, we aren't too far from Michael Mann's Heat 2 being published, and I'm all for expanding that for any kind of summer uh, fill-in episodes that we need to do. <laughs> Speaking of bonus content, uh, adjacently, the additional little bit tonight or the additional little bit that's going on with this episode will be the bonus episode that we recorded last week, which is us going through our top films of the year so far. We came up with a list of 10 that I'm, I'm really proud of. I feel like we, we hit all the marks of, you know, some of the best movies that, that we're into for a lot of reasons. So stick around to hear that. We've got to put in here that this was before we saw Crawdads. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Everything is caveated. Everything is caveated. We'll have to factor that in for the end of the year when we do our the second half of, of 2022, which I'm sure it'll be number one with a bullet. So stick around to hear that. Subscribe to the show because those bonus episodes go out to people that are subscribed. We don't post those uh, like we do these normal shows um, out to, to everyone. So just subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. Find us there. You can find all the info in the show notes of where you can see the movies and find out what Bruce has been writing about. And we'll have a link to the, the podcast, the on Iowa politics podcast that Jared does and any other odds and ends. And you can connect with us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook and all those other places through the show notes, find those there. And uh, I'm going to kick it to Jared. Who's going to send us out. Yeah. Look, after you come home from a long, hard day of, um, catching crawdads or 
drawing pictures of them or whatever the hell the Marsh girl was doing at any given time in the movie. Uh, you gotta, you gotta unwind. And so, you know, if you come home and you don't want to leave the, the comfort of your home or shack uh, in her case, you can uh, fire up the old uh, TV and uh, stream something from the comfort of your home. Although her internet coverage might've been kind of spotty. So I don't know how well uh, her streaming might've been, but you can stream something uh, from home or you can uh, hop on your uh, boat with the, uh, the outboard motor and you can uh, scuttle on up uh, the marsh and uh, find the local uh, two screen uh, movie theater. And you can uh, go in there and you can plunk down your hard earned uh, crawdad fishing uh, money and you can uh, screen something good at the theaters. Stream something good, screen something good. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Bruce. Thank you to our listeners. We'll be back next week with even more fun stuff. Subscribe so you can hear those bonus episodes as we post them, as opposed to now where it's a couple days after the fact. But here are Jared, Bruce, and myself talking about our favorite movies of the year so far, running down a nice list. We'll have links to where you can stream or screen those in the, uh, in the show notes. Oh dear, here comes another one. This is the bonus episode for Streamed and Screened. Bonus, bonus, bonus. With myself, Chris Lay, the podcast operations manager for Lee. We got Jared McNett, a reporter for the Sioux City Journal, and Bruce Miller, longtime entertainment journalist and the current editor at the Sioux City Journal. And we're well into the, the second half of the year, so we're going to rattle off uh three three each of our, our favorite films of the year and see what's going on see see how we interpret that because there's definitely at this point we could maybe all come to pretty solid consensus with the outside world and and each other um i think i might try to go a little different but we'll see jared jared can start us off what do you got top three yes uh well i'll, I'll start i'll give you three uh honorable mentions first because i always like to just stuff as many in as i can my three honorable mentions I had for the first half of the year so far, in no particular order with the honorable mentions, we got Ambulance, the uh, Michael Bay movie with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Um, we've got uh, Top Gun uh, with uh, Tom Cruise, which all three of us absolutely loved, I know. And uh, Jackass Forever. Those are my three uh, honorable mentions. And then moving right along into the main three uh, for my favorites so far of the year, uh, number three, I had uh, The Northman, the latest uh, Robert Eggers movie, which was by far his biggest and most ambitious movie to date. And I think in a lot of ways was the most just viscerally enjoyable. Like I personally enjoyed the hell out of The Witch and The Lighthouse, but I'm a freak. So, you know, not everybody's going to enjoy those movies in the same sort of way, but a movie like The Northman, you can totally enjoy for just a pure revenge movie, uh, which is what it is. My number two, I had Everything Everywhere All at Once, which was directed by The Daniels, um, another A24 movie that we talked about a good deal when it came out earlier this year. Just an awesome showcase for Michelle Yeoh and a, a good example of uh, playing around with the multiverse, uh, I thought, and one that's just also a lot of fun and somehow manages to keep you entertained, even though it's like two and a half hours long. And then uh, speaking of movies that uh, have a long runtime, but managed to keep you thoroughly entertained and thoroughly engaged all the way out. My number one pick 
Uh, it's been number one since I saw it, uh, and that's uh, RRR, uh, which is a movie from India directed by uh, S.S. Rajamuli, who's had a number of huge films uh, over there. And this is the first one that seems to have blown up a lot more over here uh, that he's done, as far as I uh, understand. And not only does this movie have some of the best action scenes of the entire year by far, it also has some of the best musical numbers that I've seen or heard uh, of the entire year. And somehow those are both in the, uh, the same movie and make total sense uh, together. So number one for me, it's going to be hard to knock it down by the end of the year, even maybe uh, RRR. Bruce? Was that by George R.R. R. Martin? Was oh he in, involved in that? Oh, boy. Any chance? Okay. They're going to get him for the sequel, and they can call it like R5. And he says that those finishing uh, books of his series are not the same as how they finished the series. Interesting. Who could have seen that one coming? Chris, let's hear yours, because I got my list here, but we'll see which ones connect. So I'm going to skip the ones that Jared's already mentioned that I thought were absolutely fantastic. There's not a clunker among the ones that, that he mentioned, but the three that I want to throw out just to add to the list, maybe not the best movies of the year, honestly, but I really liked fresh the movie. Uh, it's on Hulu. So just about anybody can, you know, watch it with commercials or whatever. Um, it's uh, Daisy Edgar Jones, who we talked about in the uh, the full episode, who is in Where the Crawdads Sing. If you want to see the other side of that, uh, you can certainly watch her uh, be uh, terrorized by Sebastian Stan. And that's about all I'll say. Um, I don't know. The, the poster for that is a picture of a hand wrapped up like a piece of meat. So... Not, not a lot to spoil there as far as what the, the subtext or <laughs> the, the kind of overall plot devices, but I, I thought it was very enjoyable for what it was and relatively underseen. So there you go. Fresh. That's my first one. Uh, the second one is X, the new movie from Ty West set in 1979 about a uh, adult film shoot that goes horribly awry in, in the deep South uh, rural Texas. And man, it's gnarly. I had a blast with that one and I can't wait to see the prequel, which is slated to come out later this year, I believe, or first thing next year, maybe called Pearl also starring Mia Goth. And yeah, I really enjoyed X. I'm looking forward to, to catching that again once it's uh, out. And I think it's already out on Blu-ray DVD, the third film. And th these are like in no, no particular order, but I loved the hell out of deep water. It was, Bruce is making a face, very surprised by this. Um, ben Affleck, Anna de Armas. I mean, all of the pulpy disgustingness of Gone Girl, just kind of all, all in, in yet another movie, this kind of dirty uh, sex thriller type thing. It's directed by Adrian Lin. I said it wrong when we were talking about this movie earlier this year, but Adrian Lyne. Lyne. So Adrian Lyne, yeah. Um, gently correcting myself here. It's it's self respect that I that, I, that I've got. Chris, you went uh, you went horror horror uh, thriller for your three picks. Wow! Indeed, like I said, there's a ton of other movies that I really enjoyed. I mean, I think my overall number one with a bullet is going to be Everything Everywhere All at Once and The Northman in quick succession. Jackass Forever is in its own category, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. And RRR, have you still not seen that, Bruce? No, no. Okay. It'll come at some point and then I'll have to. Break it into two if you need to. 
I mean, three hours is long, but it does have an intermission, like a nice casual little spot where you can kind of, you know, hit pause, come back the next day. It's like, you know, putting down the book, uh, putting down a book at the end of a chapter kind of thing. It's a nice, nice little watermark. So um, yeah, the, the three that I guess I'm, I'm adding to that list, this is a, a progressive list, is Fresh, X, and Deep Water. Bruce, what do you got? I look at it a different way. Which ones will survive by the end of the year when you'll, you'll be looking there? And I really, you know, if you look at it, Top Gun is going to be on somebody's list somewhere because it really did jumpstart people going back to the theaters. And as kind of 1980s as it might be, there's something there that you got to admire. And I, I, it will get Oscar nominations. I can predict that for you right now. The Northman could as well because it was so bizarre, but I think that there's going to be some other stuff that will just kind of kick that out of the way. And I think the Batman will be another one that will have some kind of technical thing that will keep it alive toward the end of the year. But um, one, I think we talked about last week and I want you to take a look at it if you haven't seen it yet is Sea Beast because I see, I think Sea Beast is going to be a game changer for animation. And I think you're going to say about that, look at how realistic this is. You know how they tried years ago to make Polar Express look like they were real people, but they look just really scary. I think they've gotten very, very close now to being able to recreate what we want reality to look like. Um, so I think they've been, special effects have gotten to the point where this is like, wow. And I think the Sea Beast is one of those things that we should consider for that. The Survivor is one of those movies that had great performances, Ben Foster. But I do think that if we're going to look at any film that's going to last everything everywhere and everything, whatever it is in between, oh yeah. You're going to see Michelle Yeoh on the best actress list. Definitely. Because that thing they will bring, and Jamie Lee Curtis, you look at her. She could be best supporting actress. It could uh, really happen. But I think that's one that will hold on until the end of the year. I know, I know that we like to talk about swag. The Everything Everywhere All at Once swag that A24 is vlogging, they have a, a scented candle that is shaped like a certain award that is used in the film to great effect. And that's all that I'm going to say about that. But excellent work uh, for them. And yeah, the Sea Beast, I haven't sat down and watched it from beginning to end, but I put it on to kind of look at and get a, a vibe for what it looked like. And it looks incredible. The visuals of it are, are what really make this. It's Moana, for lack of a better term, but it looks incredible. And I think that's what we're going to see is that the technical aspects of that, that's put it right in the list right now for best animated feature. And I don't think it'll be kicked out by any Disney film before then. It's been a rough year for, uh, for Pixar and Disney animation. And the thing you mentioned with the uncanny Valley, I also made a mental note of that because they found just the perfect balance between everything else in this world from the clothing to the boat, to the water, to the plants is, is very accurate. Like it's not like, it's just close enough to reality. It's not quite avatar level intensity, but all of the actual characters, the facial structure, the body shapes, the way they move is caricaturized to the point where it's, they push both directions at the same time in just the right balance. And yeah, I, what I saw looked fantastic. And 
I'm a little bummed that I'm not going to get a chance to maybe see that on the big screen because, you know, it just doesn't look as good streaming. I mean, it's something that really needs to be seen on like a high definition TV, you know, guaranteed and not, you know, on, on your kid's peanut butter smeared iPad, you know, in, in the backseat of a car. So you could get seasick. Can I predict something then as long as we're at the half point? I don't think Avatar 2 is going to be the big thing that it really thinks it's going to be. I really don't. I know that they're going to push like crazy. We're going to see, you know, come on, everything possible. But when you go to the Disney World attraction that has the Avatar thing in, that's Avatar 2, where you really are put in the middle of the whole thing. And I don't know how a film that has been how many years out? It's a long time. I don't know that it can bring back the feelings that we had back then. So I don't think Avatar is going to be in the, if it is on the best picture list, it's because they have 10. And that's the only reason. If I had to make a bet right now, I would agree with you. But I also know that we are at the, we are still just at the very beginning of a six month promotional push. Push is not a strong enough word about how the marketing is going to ramp up for Avatar 2. We're going to have the first Avatar back in theaters with 3D glasses. So it's going to then, you know, leap past Avengers again and reclaim all that. I mean, it is it is going to lay the track for all of that. And I'm, I think that we are definitely head, heading towards a, a nuclear winter of <laughs> being snowed in by Avatar and yes, I know that that metaphor got way the hell away from me immediately the second I started making it, but you know what I mean. So I'll just read a, uh, an article uh, headline from uh, December of 2009 from, uh, from Cinema Blend, who has some stuff I like. 2009, why Avatar is headed for blockbuster mediocrity. So that's what, that's what the predictions were heading into the first Avatar in 2009. So we'll see what happens this time around. I did like seeing the new trailer in front of um, yep. in front of Thor. Everything looks amazing. I, I don't know how much I'm going to end up ultimately caring about these people, but you don't care about the Navi. Come on. <laughs> I don't know when that guy like, you know, wraps the leather thong like around his hand and is, you know, on the, you know, crazy, you know, rabid dolphin or whatever it is these on. I'm there for it. But yeah, next week we'll be back with Nope. Yep. We got the Gray Man on Netflix both of which are varying degrees of, of let's get excited for it. And then we've also got a documentary series on HBO called The Last Movie Stars. Yeah, get excited, guys. That's the sound of excitement right there, I'll tell you what. So thank you both, and thank you to the subscribers that we've got, the avid listeners to the show, and we'll be back next week with more good stuff. Oh my God, that thing shouldn't have happened.